must see. That's not bad, that. It's not bad at all. Blue steel, Tyrone. <laughs> you didn't have to overdo it, Fizz. Well, he looks very cute. Thank you. Welcome to episode 129 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Street Catcher podcast, one half of which couldn't concentrate on anything until Adam corrected Carl's estimate of there being six billion women on the planet. I'm Gavin. And I'm the mother of a 12-year-old, again. Yes. Happy birthday to Mathelli. Yes. She of the SpongeBob Squarecast. Yeah, I've already updated uh, <laughs> the header from 11 to 12 now. It's gone from 10 to 11 and 11 to 12. That's how long we've been doing that. Mm. Have you updated your age on it? Yeah, well, I did that some time ago. Yeah. Because it's not my birthday today. <laughs> no. Or anything close to it. No. Ugh. You seem to be full of the joys. Uh, it's just, it's going to be a long day. How come? <laughs> well, after this, I still haven't wrapped her presents in the closet. Except for the one present I have to pick up today. And that will be a task because I don't think my kayak rack is going to accommodate it. So I need to uh, run over to Dunham's and get a, a canoe rack for it. Pick that up. I need to pick up her ice cream cake somehow in the middle of all of this. And then get home, wrap presents, give presents. And it's funny because, we're, I mean, we're not even having a party. So no. <laughs> I didn't even have so to work it. though. Other a party. Change. Or anything, it's cooler than it was yesterday. But yeah, at least we're we're not in the middle of a blizzard, and trying to throw a pool party. <laughs> or oh, having several people of the same age as Stelly running about the house. Yeah, no, that would be a nightmare this year of all years. Any year, that's pretty much a nightmare. But well, for you, <clears throat> but that's because you don't like people. No. Or of any age. Or those people. <laughs> You like Axel. Who? Stelly's best friend. Oh, yeah. Every time you say that, I just picture Axel Rose, and it's not a, it's not a great thing to picture. No. That Axel Rose is your 12-year-old stepdaughter's <laughs> best friend. You'd, you'd have questions about that. You'd, you'd want to investigate that before somebody investigates it for you. Did you know Axel doesn't even know who Guns N' Roses is? Well, more fool them. <laughs> So what, he's named after part of a car? So he could be just like Trunk? I don't know. He named himself, so. I get very confused these days. Yes. Old white man. Living <laughs> <laughs> in a ever increasingly not old white man world. Old straight white man. I'm fine with, with, <laughs> with pretty much all of that. I just don't understand some of it. Right, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't pass comment on it, apart right. from what I'm passing now. <laughs> I am very much a live and let live sort of person. Right. I hate people. Yes. I, but I hate people for specific reasons, not just general reasons. Of, well, you just generally hate people. Well, there are people, there are some people that, I, that I'm fairly fond of. Right. But in general, the human race is not your favourite. Of all races? Mm-mm. I think you prefer dogs <laughs> and cats. I don't prefer cats. <laughs> I, f- I used to like cats. I've had my fill of cats now. 
I kind of like the dog. It's kind of hard. The dog annoys me. It's kind of hard to love them when there are four of them running around the house. Yeah. And hindsight, that was a mistake. <laughs> Getting those extra two. Yeah. <laughs> but that was your mistake. I thought I was doing something good. And, and you were and, doing and something good. And were, kids were, had been nagging me up to that point. Oh, you promised a cat when we moved, which I never did. <laughs> well, at least it's putting that to bed. They're hilarious with that whole you promised thing or you said thing. Even now, even now as a, a, a 14 and 12 year old, they'd be like, you said this. And I'm like, I didn't say that. I know I didn't say that. Your sister confirms I didn't say that. <laughs> or your brother confirms I didn't say that. The afternoon I went to get my ear pierced, <laughs> which I did in, <coughs> in Stenhouse Muir. On a Saturday afternoon, I think in the summer, with a couple of other friends, and we got it all done at the same time. And I think I was 15. Uh-huh. And I went home, and my mum had a fit. And I actually, I can't say the word that she said that I looked like anymore. No. Like five years ago, to be able to say it, but I can't say it anymore. No. You look like a... And I said to her, because I'm going somewhere with this, uh-huh. you said when I was 12, I could get my ear pierced. And you said that when I was 10. And she did. And she claimed that she didn't. But I always wanted my ear pierced ever since I saw Adam Ant with his, <laughs> his ear pierced when I was like eight. And she said, well, when you're 12, you can get your ear pierced. So I waited mm-hmm. until I was 15. And she still had Wait. a fit about it. Yeah, so you even waited extra years. She yeah. should have been chuffed. Yeah, she actually grew to quite like it. Oh, <clears throat> and now you don't have it. No, the hole's still there, though. I can still put, like, a, I was just the other day that I was bored and I put a paperclip through it. What? <laughs> There's a paperclip on the desk and I what if that hole's still open? And it is. Really? Because, like, I could barely get an earring through one of my ears and I wear earrings still, like, once or twice a year. I haven't worn an earring properly for more than a decade. But that hole's still open. Hmm. Maybe we should we should get you a proper earring for it. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't. For the reasons that I stopped drinking <clears throat> because of the <clears throat> because I didn't want to become that guy. <laughs> I don't think I want to become that guy either. <laughs> anyway, this is all very fascinating. I'd argue that it isn't. <laughs> hey, at least we haven't brought up <clears throat> disease or politics. For a change. For a change. And that's nice. nice. We kind of hinted at disease when we were talking about um, oh, the so party. The part, yeah. And I think you thought about disease when I was talking about putting a, a bent paper clip through my ear. I anyway, wasn't. You kind of looked like you did. Shall we preamble with you? I know? was just surprised that the hole was still there. <laughs> and that's what she said. I can demonstrate it for you if you like. No, thank you. I don't have any dirty bits of metal that I can shove through it to hand. So anyway, shall we preamble with you? Yes, please. Give me some of that hygienic Kokori news. Bev Clard is doing quite well on I'm a Celebrity, despite her hip surgeries earlier this year. The show has installed a handrail for her on the castle. Wait, what? What? A handrail? Yeah, there's a handrail so she can get up and down the stairs. I realise it's not in the jungle this year, it's, it's somewhere in Wales. Yeah, so it's, it's not in really... a castle. They're in a castle in Wales yeah. that has 
disabled access and a handrail. Well, it doesn't really have disabled access. That's why they had to put a handrail on it. So that it she still doesn't seem like they're they're roughing it very much. I haven't seen any of the season. The woman has had both oh, of her a, hips that, replaced. That's absolutely fine for her. I'm thinking more about the other people that I are there. I think she's the only one who's allowed to use the handrail stairs. I think everybody else has to go somehow, get out somewhere else. Anyway. Oh, sorry. Simon Gregson has said on Loose Women this week that he thinks his on-screen mum will win. However, he says that if Bev is a vegan as she claims, he's a mango. And he's not a mango. Wait to throw your television <laughs> mum under the bus there. There's some speculation that she has claimed that she's a vegan so she doesn't have to eat bugs. Oh, that's clever. But she still has to eat vomit fruit. Where are they? Are they importing they, all this stuff from Australia be. now? <laughs> they must be for this. It's. I can't imagine it's warm in Wales at the moment. No, no, they're all quite bundled up. This doesn't sound like a good idea. And they're like, they have like, I've I've never really watched much of any of it, but yeah, like it it looks more like a. Um, we watched some of the Danny Baker one before before it humped. Right before <laughs> before he was cancelled, um, and I've watched I watched a little bit of the one when um what's his name, Kirk was on. Yeah, I, I watch clips and stuff because I have to. It's my it's my job as a Coronation Street. <laughs> Correspondent. Um, <laughs> I'm just examining my fingernails for no reason. It looks like like a proper game show, almost. This thing. thing, yeah, like some of the there's like lots of lights and you know celebrities mm. in boxes having to move things and anyway. Uh, I saw they still have to eat bugs and vomit. I fruit. saw a little clip of, of it. On Twitter, I think, last night, where there was mm-hmm. two of them, and I don't think I knew who either of them were that had uh, snakes wrapped around them. In like, Wales? Wales? <laughs> this is just, none of this makes sense. I appreciate we're saying that none of this makes sense and we haven't watched it, but right. on the surface of it, reading the synopsis of it as we are, yeah. none of this makes sense. In Wales? Honestly, wouldn't they be safer in Australia? Aren't Australia's numbers even... Aren't there fewer people in Australia? And than Wales? Then well, in the UK and fewer opportunities to contract the virus. Although it's quite possible Australia's like there's no way in hell you're carting a whole production team down here. I'd imagine they're the probably moment. taking the New Zealand model and yeah, shutting down. Yeah. We don't want your kind <laughs> here, which is Finally the tables have turned. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Lees, who played Milkman Harry Clayton on the show and was also on Emmerdale, has passed away of the coronavirus. Our sympathies go out to his family. And finally, if you feel like you've seen the old man who offers Peter a yes. this week, you're right. Yes. Dave Dutton returns for an 11th <laughs> appearance on the show in 35 years. First appearing is Eric Priestley in 1985. And the most recent one before this was in 2017, where he played Simon's history teacher that he gets in trouble with. He's got a gig once every three years with this thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> more power to him. This was an odd one. <laughs> <laughs> so, when he says on the, so when Guardian he says Angel. To, when he says to Peter, yeah, I used to live in Weatherfield, he's not lying. Well, <laughs> except for that time before that time when he was lying. 
He's lived everywhere. Eleven, eleven roles. Yeah, and that's Corey News. That is Corey News. So he was in, was in two days this week. Yes. That'll be him. Yep. That'll be him for another That'll three be years. Him done. Yep. Apparently, he's also appeared in Emmerdale a couple of times because, of course, he has. It seems like everybody who's been in Coronation Street has also been in Emmerdale and vice versa. What a go-to guy, though. Yeah. If you need just a random, if you need a random old punter. Random there old he is. Man. And 35 years ago, he wouldn't have been... He'd just been middle-aged. In 1985, yeah. He's a career. Yeah. As a character actor, it's mm-hmm. it's a living. It's not a bad living. Oh, well, I we, would imagine. One would hope he's picking up more than two scenes in Coronation Street right, every yeah. three years. Uh, the, one of his roles in Coronation Street lasted a year. He was on it for a full year between 1990 and 1991. So... Apparently he sold someone a dog well, it called like Boomer. That, that, that Jack Duckworth would have been involved in. Yes, actually he sold the dog to Jack Duckworth. <laughs> the dog's name was Boomer. That doesn't sound right though. And apparently, apparently what what uh, he didn't realize is that Boomer stood for Boomerang. So this guy had sold this dog multiple times to multiple people and mm. it always came home so he could sell it again. That reminds me of a joke of a talking dog that I, I can't tell for a whole number of reasons. <laughs> Our mailbag. <clears throat> Kev wrote in to say, I can't be the only one so tired with the majority of storylines right now. I've never cared for all of our off-screaming Leanne. We haven't had a sniff of Tim's dad in weeks. Todd and Sarah are having a competition to see who is the most irritating shit in the factory. Sorry, Alina. Although, well done to Peter and Carla, who easily get past marks this week. With so many dull characters and dull stories, I share your opinion and hope that Ray Weinstein and Debbie successfully manage to swindle the residents of the street out of their homes and businesses and get the clothes off their backs and build that stupid fucking skyscraper of their dreams. I have a scene from Sin City in mind for this enormous erection. Fnar. What? Surrounded by terraced houses and cobbled streets and an inexplicable statue of Lenin. It'll be like my With- shiny new PS5 surrounded by broken piles of broken and partially melted ZX81s. Wait, go back to the enormous erection? And... <laughs> Had circuit boards all over the place. Kev revealing somehow something of his age there and sneakily imagined to get in the fact that he has a PS5. And an enormous erection. Well, I, I think I think that's a deliberate double entendre, isn't it? Probably. He did put FNAR in brackets after it. Yeah. So I think it was Benny who asked if they were getting a PS5 for Christmas this year and I <laughs> laughed and laughed and laughed. We don't really need... We've got don't need two, another one. We have two PS4s. We have a GameCube that nobody uses anymore. I think we have a PS1 and a PS3 as well downstairs. Oh, three downstairs because I've got a three when, I, when we moved over. Yeah. Um, and I think there's still a Wii kicking around somewhere. It did cross my mind to get a PS5 for both of them and then that would stop me having to think about anything else. Uh-huh. And then I could move that PS4 back in here. Then I'd have to get another TV because there's no TV to play it on. And that just became far too confusing. Hmm. But I don't think we can get a PS5 these days for love nor money. It was funny. I I, I don't know if you saw, I posted a, a picture that was on Facebook Marketplace where somebody was yes, trying to so. trade a 30-pack of toilet paper for a PS5. And I would have got. <laughs> and you know what? In, in our coming dystopia, that maybe. <laughs> I saw one as well about uh, somebody's TP'd my house and the value's gone up by $35,000. And now this. Did you see the finale for last week tonight with Adam Driver? 
No, I didn't. Oh, you need to see it. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I saw I saw the piece that he was doing on the election again, uh-huh. but I didn't see the full show. Oh, you must watch the full show. It is delightful. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Welcome. Adam Driver. Welcome. <laughs> Sex on legs, Adam Driver. Yes. Step on my neck, <laughs> Adam Driver. Just enough time to... <laughs> what, my neck? Step on my neck. Step on my neck. Is that what he said? That's what he said. Yikes. Break. The music's done and I haven't even started. Adam Driver. Welcome to last year tonight. We meet John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about... And me, Adam Driver. (laughs) A slide with... A slide with bouncy balls. This was the knicker people voting on what improvements to make on the new factory. Oh yes, wanted a slide with bouncy balls. And Izzy stood up for him. And it... That was probably the last meaningful line that she got. I was Gavin and you were ready for a procedure. I was thinking, what procedure was that? Was it the exploratory surgery to find out what was causing me that awful pain? I think so, but I think this was slightly before anyone told you that it was just your nerves. Your nerve endings. Your nerve endings? Yeah, your nerve endings. It was nerve pain, wasn't it? In the end, probably, because it did eventually go away. But they thought it was my ovaries. And then it wasn't. No. I got handed a picture of your ovaries by the doctor, who then went on to ex- explain <laughs> what had been found, and I just recorded it, because it's like, there's no way I'm going to remember all of this. I don't know what half of these things are. You've seen you've seen more pictures of my insides than anyone else in the world. Yeah. Nobody. You're very intimate with my insides. I haven't. I haven't. I've never seen a picture of any of your internal organs. And nor shall you. <laughs> I was on around week 10 of my cold, oh, I remember that. Sinead is committed to the earth, Daniel is angry at everything, and a baffled pawn shop owner wondered if keeping the golf clubs out in the open was such a great idea after all. Remember, because he finds this, what he thinks is a computer in that pawn shop. Mm. Benny discovers the truth of Kel and Paul's past, thanks to a well-pitched half-brick. This isn't the week Michelle is going to succumb to no Robert Cooties as she plots to destroy the silver-haired Lothario who is all too quick to assume his legs are safely back under the peaceful table. That was a year ago. Boy. Following James's walk of shame, Michael discovers that he's a daddy, but Aggie has her own ideas on the best way to handle this and opts for badly. David and Shona have an exciting proposal for a non-plus Lily and Max. Nothing's happened for that for obvious reasons, I guess. They were going to get adopted. Mm. Hope decides to paint a picture of Mummy on Mummy. Well, yeah, he- Shoda could barely take care of herself, much less adopt anybody. Yeah, I would say she even just can't take care of herself. The Knicker people make a strong case against them ever having a say in how the factory run ever again. Gemma doesn't belch. Shamefully, no one shouts haircut at Adam, and Ken is in hospital, but whatever. <laughs> moment of the week was Bernie reporting Paul's abuse, and boring moment of the week was Nick hanging around the rovers looking for a place to sit down. <laughs> and that was Coronation Street. And the talk of the street this time last year. It he was bought a hot pot or something, and, and, just and like, he couldn't oh. find a place to sit. And that was a scene for some reason. Ah, <laughs> oh, and that other thing you said before that, I remember that too. And now I can't remember what you said. Ken being in hospital. Oh yes, yes. Remember when Ken had pneumonia and it was very serious. Yeah, nobody cared. No. Nah. <laughs> and then he got better, and nobody cared. Twenty-four minutes. Shall we dive in, Medea? Yes, please. Oliver's legal army. On Monday, number one, in front of Steve, Emma is very conciliatory, thinking that Leanne will come round. 
As soon as Steve leaves, Emma confides in Tracy that Leanne must be fucking furious. It's not a competition, says Tracy. They're both going to lose Oliver, and Steve is the only one being sensible, and this fight is unnecessary. At the hospital, Steve arrives to see Oliver and immediately gets a mouthful of snatch from Leanne. What's the point in saying hello to him? Says Leanne, if he can't hear you, why are you even here? But Steve just ignores it while Leanne gets ready to meet with Imran. So Leanne explains to Imran and Elliot that Steve doesn't want to appeal and has given up, but she hasn't. And then she says that she said that it wasn't about them, it was about Oliver, which I don't recall her saying at all. No. In fact, she seemed to take a bit of a hump when, uh, when Steve she said, kind of suggested that that might this be the is case. about Oliver and not about you. Mm-hmm. Imran is worried about this. If the judge knows the parents are divided on the appeal, it'll never be successful. Leanne decides that she can convince Steve to it get on board. Never be successful, so she goes from being completely bad mouthing Steve and he's just the biggest shit in the earth to mm. I think I can bring him round. Yeah. Yeah, with, with sweet mm. talking like that, who knows? Mm. So she's calmer, she tells Steve that the appeal can go ahead if he doesn't oppose it, but it doesn't stand a chance without his support. Steve doesn't think the appeal stands a chance either way. Tracy and Todd discuss keeping this conversation to a minimum in front of Oliver, but Leanne hopes that he can't understand because he'd be crushed, just like Rana, to learn that his dad's given up. Oh my God! (laughs) Then Leanne says that she's scared to leave Steve in the same room as Oliver, and Tracy is appalled. She then has the nerve to beg for Steve's support. The best he can do is not oppose the appeal, but he can't support it. Leanne says, (laughs) you're still... You're going to milk this Rana thing forever, aren't you? Well, it's only been more than a year. <laughs> the best he can do is not support, is not oppose the appeal, but he can't support it. Leanne says that she's not a judge or a doctor, she's a mother, and if that makes her emotional, then colour her in emotional, and she storms off. Yikes. Later, Steve explains his position to Imran and Elliot. Imran tells him he has to do what he thinks is best. Steve wants an outcome soon, but Elliot points out that Leanne is within the rights to take this to the Supreme Court or to the European Court of Human Rights. It could go on and on. It's her right to continue, but it's Steve's right to stop. Well, until they get to the the, the human rights yeah, court. But and then it's potentially like years away, or yeah. months away, certainly. Yeah, and Oliver's not going to last that no. long. And I don't know, post-Brexit, the European Court of Human Rights probably doesn't become a thing anymore. Because Europe. Who knows what's going to be a thing <laughs> anymore in a year from now. If Steve thought there was a glimmer of hope, of recognition, he'd let he'd back Leanne all the way. He's not letting his son down. He's letting him go. He says. So after the meeting, Steve and Leanne are alone in the waiting room. Toya and Tracy have left, and Leanne finds it weird that lives are continuing outside, which is a real thing. Steve says the same will happen to them sooner or later. They'll be out the hospital at home, and they'll catch themselves laughing at something on the TV. Life goes on. I thought that was quite a salient point. Right. Yeah, because Steve has some experience with this. Right. Yes, which Leanne seems to. Not care about. <laughs> nobody, nobody takes to bring this up. Steve has lost a son already. Yeah, which he does mention later. Yeah, he has had a baby child die, and nobody seems to be taking that into account as far as his feelings are concerned. And you know, Leanne's acting like she's the only person who this has ever happened to ever in the history of the world. Mm. Nope. <laughs> so Leanne doesn't want life to go on. She apologises for earlier. She's sorry that he won't support her, but it's grateful he won't stand in her way. He pinches the bridge of his nose and mentions getting tea, and Leanne is now suspicious and asks him to confirm, and he ignores her. Be right back, he says. She catches up with him soon enough, and he can't promise not to stand in her way. The appeal is a mistake. He can't stand by and watch it go on and on and on indefinitely. He's going to get a solicitor of his own. 
She thinks she's fighting for his life while Steve will be fighting to put him to sleep like a dog. Ugh. Poor Teddy. She Aww. wants to know who's put these ideas in his head because she's known him long enough that he can't think for himself. Yeah, that'll win him round. Mm-hmm. More zingers like that. He points out that he's sat through enough. He's seen everything. He's learned about the same evidence. He's heard the same advice. And if he thought there was a chance, he'd be fighting all the way with her. He'd be knocking on the door of that Supreme Court, he said. Uh-huh. Hello, Supreme Court. <laughs> it's Steve. Hello. But there's not, so he can't. It's not fair. They've done their best, but they can't save him, so why prolong it? He won't change his mind. He can't change his mind. He's hoping that she will. And then the, then she says, well, that sounds like we've come to the end of the road. Mm-hmm. So we don't see anything on Wednesday. And it kind of takes a little bit of a turn on Friday. Toya is there with Leanne at the hospital. Leanne is about to head off before Steve gets there. Toya thinks that they should talk to each other rather than avoid each other. But Leanne can't forgive him for what he's doing and wants to change the subject. Even when Toya points out that Steve thinks he's doing the right thing. And he isn't actively trying to hurt Leanne or Oliver. Back at number one, Emma and Tracy are chatting about Oliver, and Tracy is worried about how Amy's going to cope when her little brother dies. Emma, because Emma has an idea to create a memory box for Amy about Oliver, and might even help Steve. Yeah. I think we could have all used a memory box about Oliver a few months ago. <laughs> Tracy thinks this might be a smashing idea. So Emma goes to see Steve, who's worried that he's a bad person, but there's no hope. It's all limbo, he says. Emma floats the memory box idea, thinking they could maybe get handprints and stuff. Steve likes the idea. They did the same for Rory. And then Michelle appears in the room because she's been summoned. (laughs) Steve worries that Leanne wouldn't cope with it, though. But on further reflection, Oliver's enormous feet. Steve thinks that Emma should go for it. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine this is going to be end badly, though. Oh, you think? That Leanne's going to walk in the room while they're taking prints of his feet and mm. take it badly. Like this is a sign that, that there's no hope mm. or something or they're, you know, futzing with his body and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because anyway. that's a messy procedure because you have to get a roller and ink, don't you? Yeah, it's not, I mean, it's not too bad. I, uh, when I was cleaning out the filing cabinet the other day, I found, uh, I found Teddy's paw print that they, that they gave us and, uh, and also his, his. We've obviously taken very good care of that since he died. And his rabies vaccination certification, which expires Uh, next year. Did we get a refund on that? No. I should get a refund on that. Because I'd gotten it for three years, so it's still got a year to go. Because <laughs> I got it done get... like shortly before he he passed. He's still a 20-year-old dog. What are you getting a three-year vaccine for a 20-year-old dog? I don't know. I, I, I am the Leanne of dogs. What can I say? I'll get you a little, a little <laughs> pendant with that on it for you. That's Christmas taken care of. <laughs> Yeah, come uh, come to our uh, our shop later and buy your own <laughs> Leanne of Dogs t-shirt. I don't even know what that is. The perfect Christmas present <laughs> for everyone on your list. Make everyone confused or angry. <laughs> later at Speed Dial, Emil loves the idea. It'll be a great place to remember all the funny things that Oliver did and his gigantic feet. Shit's getting real, says Emma, and Tracy doesn't think a memory box is going to work on Leanne. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yes. I was kind of forced to remember my 
ex-sister-in-law who lost two babies in three years. Ugh. That they, you know, I have a, a memory of her partner uh, carrying the coffins himself because they were so wee. Right. And it was a humanitarian that was doing the um, the service telling a story about a, a, a train with a teddy bear on it that never reaches the station. And, dear God, you know, the the first time I heard that, it was like, I was like, nobody ever tell me that story again because it just absolutely destroyed me. But then I think about how how she got through that, not once but twice in, in three, in three years. years. And oh, my God. The first uh, baby, Charlie, was born uh, on my mum's birthday, uh, December 19th. And they knew straight away there was a problem. I think the heart was inside out, essentially. And she lived until uh, Hogmanay. So New Year's Eve was when they turned the machine off. But she had to make the decision. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. She did. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. I was kind of and estranged from her. And three years. I was estranged a bit from her uh, the second time, although I did... Uh, go along to the um, the funeral, but that first time in particular, uh, she was the strongest person that I'd ever known at that time for being able to get through it, not once but twice. And then she went on to have a baby after that, Ugh. and I can't imagine what that nine months must have been like after losing two, right? And you know, giving birth twice mm-hmm. and having nothing to show for it, and then being pregnant. Again, that just I can't imagine anything more stressful than no. <laughs> stressful than that. And she's a mother, mm-hmm. and that's how she dealt with it. Yeah, she she made the decision. She, she was strong. She listened to advice. She loved that, that baby. baby. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, we're just reminded of that this week. Oh, yeah, I mean I've. I've never had that happen, thank God. But I remember being on bed rest in the hospital for a month and being hooked up to things and, you know, listening to Benny's heartbeat constantly, you know, because the heart monitor was on all the time because it would, he, it, his heart rate would decelerate for no apparent reason, which was why I was on bed rest. And, you know, every time that happened... And they would rush in and everything, you know, you just, you think this is it. And then, and then, and then obviously he, he survived, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's being a mum is not easy. And life is a very tentative thing. It really is. Can we talk about Sean now? (laughs) Yes. Let's please bring the room up with some makeup. Because... This, I think, is my favourite bit of the week. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Sean storyline, y'all. It's the eyebrows. We will get there. <laughs> Tyrone's eyebrows look like yours. No, no, just stop, stop spoiling it. <laughs> this is a catch-up podcast. People know. My brains are as thick as that. <laughs> they're thick. And they're dark. They're dark, but they're not like they're, they're painted the only, on. They're the only bits of your hair that are still black. Except for a wee bit of your moustache. I've got wee bits of... Still a wee bit of pepper in there. 
<laughs> You're looking very Sean Connery-ish. Oh, there's a look. <laughs> On Monday, the Knicker people are discussing the verdict Before from last he week. Died. Most of whom are siding with Leanne. Todd, however, thinks the independent judiciary is a cornerstone of a functioning society. Oh, then, shut up! Then Eileen, who doesn't work at the factory, comes into the factory. There's been a shitload of Sean's beauty product delivered to her front room. A giddy Sean looks forward to sorting it through at lunchtime. And then we see that Michael's working his magic on Beth, and we understand that his delivery has arrived too. So we've got a little bit of a rivalry thing going on here that doesn't really come to anything. Later, Michael's trying to sell lip gloss to, em- to Gemma, but only succeeds in waking up the quads. Michael has a whole range and a tray around his neck, uh, like he's a uh, concession person. Yeah. But yeah. there's, a, there's a better it's name like for it. Like a walking concession person. <laughs> the a AMC series. <laughs> the walking concession people. So Gemma tells him to fuck off for nine years. Eileen overhears <laughs> Gemma's money money woes and how Joseph wants a new tracksuit and offers some of Todd and Jason's hand-me-downs. At home, Todd wonders where he's going to sleep tonight because the room is full of uh, beauty products. No one cares. Eileen points out that Michael is selling door-to-door while Sean is figuring out how he unpack. He's still not paid his rent, and now he has to buy Dylan a phone for some reason. Where did that come from? Why can't his mum do that? Seriously. You get the, the lady who's taking him to Scotland to a castle for Christmas can't buy him a phone. Why does he need a phone? Doesn't he already have a phone? He did have a phone. He had a phone. Why does he need a new one? This shitty cosmetic thing is his ticket out of the knicker factory, he says. Eileen still thinks it's a pyramid scheme. He asked to throw a makeup party in her front room, but she puts the kibosh on it. Besides, Mary's still mooning for WWE's The Undertaker, whatever that means. Sean is determined to make it a success and impress Dylan or whatever, and thinks about staging his own party at Speed Dal. It's uh, The Undertaker's farewell uh, live event this weekend, I think, on, on the WWE. He must be nearly 60 by this point. Yeah, he can't possibly still be wrestling, can I think he? he is. I think he is. Oh my God. Hulk Hogan was doing it. Up until fairly recently. And by fairly recently, I'm saying at least 20 years ago when I last watched it. And by doing it, we mean wrestling, not that other stuff. No. I I can't comment on that. Did you ever ever watch uh, that that Hulk Hogan reality show? No. I used to watch it all the time. I loved it. (laughs) I've never been that interested in Hulk Hogan. It was never a... He always kind of annoyed me at the wrestling... I think that's kind of the point. No, he was a face for most of the time, wasn't he? Yeah, still. He was an annoying face. Just like that other guy, the guy that you hate, that was the face for a while. No, you were... I don't think you were meant to find him annoying. I found him annoying. Daniel Bryant. Yeah. Kirk Angle as well. He goes into that (laughs) that category. Yeah, see? So you... I really just (laughs) liked... You just find nice people annoying. I just like to rock and Scotty too haughty. Well, come on. Who doesn't like... Didn't didn't you did you never like um what's his name? I'm gonna need more than that. Piper. No. He wore a kilt. (laughs) Oh, that is your argument. Oh, okay. (laughs) I just remember him from the from the from the cartoon. I used to love the cartoon. I think I hated wrestling long before I liked it, and I hated it because of things like they all had trademark after their name. There was a cartoon, and I it was all kind of made up. And I always wanted one of those stuffed ones, the the WWE, you know, stuffed dolls that you could throw you know, at a wall and right, yeah, run over your car, but also sleep with. <laughs> Later, we see Joseph in a tracksuit from the nineteen eighties getting a piss ripped out of him by Hope. I don't think it was the nineteen eighties; it's the nineties. 
Yeah, Todd's not that old. Todd recognises that it's been one of his and invites Fizz and Gemma to Sean's makeup party thing. It's unisex, so come one, come all, and it's free booze. So even Tyrone is interested. Now Hope wants a tracksuit from the 1980s. 90s. The party would be a total bust if it wasn't for Tyrone. Let's face it. Tyrone makes this party. Well, let's be honest. It's Fizz that makes the party. He worries for Sean that there's no market for Bloke's makeup. Sensing weakness, everyone piles onto him, insisting <laughs> that he's insecure. They really do. They're worried, like sharks. Worried people that will think that he's gay. Even uh, Alina Pop is... I know, is Alina Pop is really just zinging him. He insists that he's not worried at all. Well, prove it then, says Alina Pop. Fizz demands Sean's palette. She knows how Tyrone likes it. <laughs> So, and Tyrone's like, not like that. So later, Tyrone but comes like out that. like, well, I don't know what it's like, but whatever it is, it has eyebrows. It really does have eyebrows. Gemma pisses herself. <laughs> Tyrone is quietly impressed. Fizz is very pleased with her work. It was the way her tongue came out. And her tongue came out look, looked like it was going to lick her lips, but then it never licked her lips. It just came out and then went back again. I was like, Who did they say that Tyrone looked like? <clears throat> blue Steel says Todd <laughs> and so Tyrone does Blue Steel from from the the Ben Stiller Zoolander movie Zoolander and Zoolander 2 which nobody watched no for good reason Sean thinks Fizz has overdone it but Fizz doesn't have a clue what he's talking about Gemma's <laughs> impressed but skint so Sean gives her some products to sell <clears throat> Pyramid coughs Todd mm-hmm. Tyrone can't stop checking himself out in the mirror Gemma doesn't care if it's dodgy and is in. Tyrone wants a bag put together for him. So it's just for Fizz and the girls. Yeah, yeah. Pick out what you like, Fizz. And put one together for Fizz as well. He's feeling extravagant. That was just wonderful. <laughs> it's absolutely wonderful. It was so good. I, it was much needed, too. I laughed out loud and played that whole thing back a couple of times away that he walks out. Because you think he's going to be a little bit sheepish, but he's done this before. Yeah. And he likes what he sees. Yeah, see? Fizz is right. She knows how he likes it. <laughs> Blue steel. <laughs> yeah, this was one of the highlights of the week for me. Mm. Oh, Tyrone was just so funny. <sighs> that look. It was a, you know, it was much needed bit of joy in the week. Yeah, absolutely. Are you interested at all in Sean's budding makeup empire or the pyramid scheme that, well, if it is a pyramid scheme, we all know what happens to pyramid schemes. Mm-hmm. Or his rivalry with Michael with it, since they're both selling and they're both kind of going after the same people. Same people in the same street. In the same mm-hmm. street, yeah. If it goes the way that I think it's going to go, there's going to be a couple of weeks of uh, friendly rivalry, uh-huh. then unfriendly rivalry, yeah. and then the whole scheme collapses and that might take us up to new year yeah and i mean Gemma had an excellent point you know michael's trying to sell this stuff that he'd never use that he he doesn't use himself and that neither does sean (laughs) don't look at me like that whereas sean knows how to apply makeup and is around makeup a lot and has used makeup sean says he's used makeup (coughs) there you go oh no i need Him. Him. Yeah, that was lovely. The Queen will see you now. That was that was just Monday. I could have done with that all week. Yes. Yes. <laughs> just Tyrone yes. working in the garage, all made up. Yes. <laughs> with a, a very striking electric pink lipstick. 
I don't know if pink's his colour. He seems more like an autumn. Our next storyline today. PC Tinker on the case. Aye, aye, aye. Reporting for duty, sir. Aye, aye, aye. Remember... Remember like a month or was it two months ago where he said that he would never be scheduled to work where he lives? Oh, that was like months and months ago. Remember that? We've talked about this. I know we have. I just wanted to remind everyone that he's not supposed to be working the streets that he lives. He's not supposed to be working on the streets that he lives or round about the streets where Mm -hmm. he lives. And he's also not supposed to be wearing his uniform while walking round about the street where he lives. Right. That doesn't seem to be a thing anymore. No, no. Apparently now they're scheduling him to do outreach in the street that he lives. Scheduling, yeah. Yeah. On Monday then, Craig escorts Faye to the bistro. Faye has left her phone at his place under the pillow. So we're to assume that, ha ha. Along comes Ray Weinstein, praising Craig for his heroism and his guise as PC Tinker. Ray wants to up his security and Craig offers to pop by later when he's on duty to give some free advice. Could you be any more perfect, asks Ray, and then compares Craig to Officer Dibble from Top Cat, and Craig doesn't really get it. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of scenes where he doesn't get references to things that happened in the 1980s, and it's, it gets I would say annoying. Top Cat's the 1960s. Yeah, but it was still playing in the 80s. It was. No one seems to, or people are remembering Officer Dibble differently to how I remember Officer Dibble. How do you remember Officer Dibble? He was the... He was a stooge, wasn't he? They took the piss out of him all the time. And I think that's kind of where but, Ray Weinstein's but, going. Right, that's where Ray Weinstein's going. But Kirk and Beth seem to think that Officer Dibble was some uh, standing uh, pillar of of integrity. And this is Kirk and Beth oh, speaking. True. But you remember cartoons, surely? Yeah, but this is also their son. Yeah, anyway. It, so... Yeah. So PC Tinker arrives later with Faye's phone and goes off to check the bistro's lock, security and CCTV. Ray mentions that the CCTV is like Super 8, so they'll start there. Ray goes off to take a call and Faye shows PC Tinker into the office because it doesn't look good for business if there's a policeman hanging about at the bar. There is no business. Right. They're doing no business. No, there's nobody there. So in the office, PC Tinker's snooping around on Ray's desk and comes across the redevelopment plans that laid out for everyone to see. And comes Ray... All right, Snoop Dogg, says Ray, who's just given the the best lines this week. You're supposed to hate him. I love him. <laughs> You're supposed to hate him, and yet now that come on, Ray. Now that now that we've more or less moved beyond him being a pervert. Yeah. <laughs> he's a delightful villain. He really is. He's <laughs> he gets all the best lines. He gets the best lines. He has. Like I said this on Twitter, he has the swagger yeah. that I expect from a bad guy. Yeah, he really fits the mould quite well. He he commands the scene that he's in. You know, he's the he's a striking presence. Mm-hmm. He has the charisma. Yeah, everything kind of is revolving around him. He he just sells being the kind of cheeky bad guy really, really, really well. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I want him to win. Knock down the street. <laughs> build a fucking skyscraper. Everybody moves to Emmerdale. <laughs> they could move to like a little, make, make a tent city <laughs> on the Red Wreck. Carol suddenly is like the, the bet lunch of the, the show now. Right. Because she's been there for so long. Right. Well, this might work. <laughs> and it's funny because I remember 
in the beginning, you know, with the whole Michelle stuff and everything, mm-hmm. he didn't he didn't really have that. He was very kind of seedy and gross. He was a little caricature, I think. Yeah, and now he's guy. not really seedy and gross. No, I know. I do worry that we're going to go back to the pervert thing. Mm. With a couple of things that he said to Faye yeah. that were kind of borderline. But he but, says them to butter her up to... Yes. Well, we'll get yes, to that. we'll get to this. So, PC Tinker continues like nothing happened and starts to make security recommendations. There's an elephant in the room, says Ray Weinstein, and it's not PC Tinker anymore. Again, zing. PC Tinker says he didn't see anything, which Ray suggests is another way of saying that he did. Ray offers a slap-up meal for him and Faye to thank him for everything that he's done. He says people send him shite every day of the week. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. PC Tinker is glad because a skyscraper doesn't really fit into Coronation Street. Ray recommends no the, the Chateaubriand and a nice bottle of Barolo. PC Tinker doesn't seem to realise that he's been bribed, and Ray does. The two-second smile fade off the week. I think PC Tinker does realise because he he turns him down. But also, you know, this was annoying too, you know, that Ray and other people keep saying things that Craig misinterprets as them talking about his weight and he's constantly saying, I'm I'm not I'm not fat anymore. Uh-huh. It's like we can see that, Craig. I don't know. I'm drawing attention to it makes it it's like we get, we know, Craig, we know. He's, it's like, are we trying to imply that he's self-conscious about his weight loss? That he he's overly proud of it? Or that he's dumb? Because there's lots of other stuff that happened this week that indicate he's not dumb. I think he's a little self-conscious of it. And I feel like he, it's, it feels like he's bringing it up before someone else brings it up. Yeah. Which feels real. Yeah. Especially when it was as as extreme as it has been. Well, that's true. Because it's, it was pretty extreme. But, uh, you know, it, part of the reason why it was extreme is because of lockdown. Right. Well, we all know that, but Ray Weinstein doesn't know that. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Later outside the factory, PC Tinker explains to Beth, Kirk and Faye that he turned the meal down. I don't think he's turning it down because he feels like it was a bribe. I think he's turning it down because it is. it could be seen as being... A bribe. A bribe. But I don't think he thinks it's a bribe. I don't know. I mean, like I said, there's other things that happened this week that make it seem like Craig is on to him. Beth thinks PC Tinker is mental to throw gratitude back in Ray Weinstein's face, but PC Tinker isn't Ray's biggest fan. He'll go to the bistro, but he'll be paying. That's grand, says Beth. Sheen Kirk can eat for free, and PC Tinker can pay for him and Faye. Then Kirk sings the theme to Top Cat. PC Tinker goes to offer his security services to Gary. Gary doesn't have time. PC Tinker looks personally disappointed by this. Gary then brings up him and Faye. And PC Tinker nods non-committally and changes the subject, asking if Gary has heard anything about any big building projects in the area. Suspicious, Gary pretends that he doesn't know what PC Tinker's talking about, so PC Tinker does what comes naturally to him. He makes his excuses and leaves. (laughs) He's very good at that. (laughs) I'll be on my way then. I'll leave you to it. I I'm head out. Hey, I. <laughs> Craig and the others are enjoying their meals in an otherwise empty bistro while Ray is on the phone to Gary learning what PC Tinker was asking about earlier. Cheers for the heads up, says Ray, who asked for a quick word in private with Craig. Ray explains how he plays golf with Richard. 
that's Craig's chief inspector, and has plans to bum Craig up to him after everything that he's done. Ray knows about his visit to Gary's. Us shopkeepers stick together, he says. Makes sense, says Craig. So does minding your own fucking business, says Ray. Say hello to the chief inspector for me. Then on Wednesday, Craig turns up at Sally's to help Faye update her CV. He quizzes Sally about moving and asks if she still has contacts in the council and was wondering if there are any construction plans on the go. Sally isn't sure but offers to ask some of her contacts in the council because she likes to keep her keep mm-hmm. her nose in. Faye turns up to work with a short skirt and makeup and Ray Weinstein comes in his pants. What's all this in aid of, he says. She- ah, would you mind not saying things like that when I have stuff in my mouth? There's coffee though, right? <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> I'm not recording from under the table. <laughs> then who's down there? <laughs> Dobby! <laughs> no! No. <laughs> Where have I got comes in? There we go. What's all this made of? She explains she's going to be handing out CVs to get her career kick-started and Ray offers to help. Maybe she has a future in hospitality. He's always had a soft spot for the self-motivators. In comes Debbie, and Ray explains that if he keeps face sweet, the gobby bobby. The gobby bobby. The gobby bobby. And he's using it in the English term, but all I heard was the the Scottish term. <laughs> the the gobby bobby. <laughs> From the gobby desert. <laughs> it keeps his mouth shut. So now we know why this relationship has been manufactured between Craig and Faye. Yes. It's all starting to make sense. And it has been manufactured because there's no chemistry there. <laughs> Not really. Not really. No. You just can't put two similarly aged people together and expect yeah. there to be fireworks. It's like mashing your Barbie and your G.I. Joes together as a kid. That's exactly what this is like. Later, Craig drops into the bistro to get Faye and go handing out CVs like Edinburgh Fringe Flyers. When Ray wants to give them During the a once pandemic. over. Yep. <laughs> you, Not wearing masks. You have this potentially contaminated piece of paper. <laughs> he reads one and then tears them all up. Craig protests because Faye's a girl and can't do that for herself. Ray reveals that if Faye wants a career, she's got one, as he's looking for a trainee manager for the entire chain. Craig is annoyingly sceptical of this and draws a hard glare from Faye. Ray insists it's on the up and up, and he'll check with his boss, because Ray has a boss? Well, no, he's like associate manager or something. because all one happy family. Yeah, so it's like a partner more than a, a boss. Then he glares at Craig who seems to finally twig what's going on here. So they go back to Sally's to make the big announcement, Craig standing in the corner of the room like a big pillar of ginger disapproval while Faye is over the moon. Wonderful news, says Sally. Well, there's a pause. There's a very pregnant pause between Faye's announcement and Tim and Sally reacting positively. Well, they don't understand because she comes in and she says, guess who's the new assistant manager at blah, 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 blah. And they have no idea that she's talking about herself. Right. So they're both looking at her exactly like... Timbot4000 says this does not compute. Right. How does it look? Well, it, it computes that she's getting a promotion. It doesn't really compute that she's now the assistant manager of the entire chain. Right. Yeah. Manager of the bistro? Maybe. Jared Kushner's got that job, surely. <laughs> no, he's busy on a, at a, his... He's building um, 666 uh, Park Avenue. And now is the assistant manager to Ray's entire <laughs> hotel chain. It's you, know, you know, he's going to be out of a job here pretty soon. So, Oh, come on now. Come on. 
let's not be doing that podcast, shall we? You've not brought it up. <laughs> yeah, so go fuck yourself. <laughs> Jared Kushner. <laughs> uh, sometimes uh, it's funny when people lose their jobs. It anyway. is funny, <clears throat> sometimes. Where did we get to? Oh, like the, the pregnant pause and oh, Sally yeah, yeah, yeah. and Tim at first can't really believe it either. Tim is very impressed with this Ray block recently. Then Tim and Faye go off for the champagne and Sally <laughs> tells Craig that our contacts in the council were cagey, but it seems that there's nothing going on development-wise. Yeah, yeah, Tim. Well, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't seem to really like that Ray guy back when, you know, he was shagging Abby while also sexually irritating you know his his waitresses but now it's okay because he gave lots of money to oliver's fund right he gave lots of money to oliver's fund and gave his daughter a promotion so now he's fine it's it's just it's sad because that's so real (laughs) craig goes to the bistro to see ray who continues to rip the piss out of him calling him the feds oh it's the feds here here come the feds Craig wants them to knock it off. Do they even call them the feds in the UK? No, there's no such thing as the feds. No. Craig wants to know why he gave Faye that job. Ray says Faye's good. Craig says they both know that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) What? He's not wrong. She's... An okay waitress. She has no management experience whatsoever. So he's not wrong. Well, wait a minute. It, it says this is, this she is deserves his girlfriend. it. And she doesn't deserve it because she doesn't have any experience in it. And she's just a fair to middling waitress. We don't know that. Well, we, we do. We've never really seen her. We do because we've we? seen her at work. Have we? And we've seen her make mistakes. And we've seen her be kind of. But of course, she's the only one left. <laughs> Because Daniel know. lost his job and Kate moved away and Bethany moved away. I was, can't I, keep people in that bistro. <laughs> I was just a little shocked that, that Craig basically throws Faye under the bus here. Well, he's making a point. Did Colson you, Smith did like my tweet on that, though. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And retweeted it. Did he retweet it? <laughs> yes. I knew he liked it. Yes, that's why it attracted a, a few more likes was from him i wasn't even paying attention (laughs) of course not no i've got other stuff to do (laughs) ray explains that he has faith in her unlike craig craig points out that she doesn't know about ray's plans and ray says neither do you or he'll have a word with the chief inspector and maybe craig doesn't get to be pc tinker anymore and maybe faye doesn't get to be fast-tracked through the ranks and who would she blame if that happened and now Craig definitely gets it. Yeah. And that's as far as we get with this one uh, this week. I don't really like the new Twitter updates, do you? I haven't noticed them. I, I see people talking about fleets all the time, and every time I see fleet, I think about that uh, prep that people have to take <laughs> before they get a colonoscopy. Yes. Yes, that's exactly what I think of, because I've had one or two colonoscopies in my life. Because it's supposed to flush all the shit out of Twitter, is that what it does? I don't know. It's it's a it's a it's a fast tweet. It's a tweet that doesn't last for very long. Oh, so it's it's Snapchat then. Yeah, it's essentially or a Facebook story or an Instagram, an Instagram story. Yeah. So yeah, it's just Twitter catching up with then. everybody else. I'm taking nothing to do with it. <laughs> but like you know, the fact that they have like a hamburger there instead of your 
uh, oh, I hate that because it's far too close to other things. Right. When you fat finger it, you end up, I don't know, it's, there's a button under, underneath it saying tweet all your exes right now. And <laughs> it's it's very, yeah, it's, it's not ideally placed, I don't think. No. It's, I think it's an interesting uh, assignment to make Craig the one who's supposedly going to... Well, right. he has discovered what the plan is. Yeah. Yeah. Because Craig's, I don't know... Not, he's not he's, even... He's not, he's, not he's not trustworthy, but... He's like a walking cop. He's a PC. He's, he's not even a detective. I, I don't believe it. I don't believe that he's the one who's going to bring well, down... Well, he is. Raise empire. This is what's happening. This is what I know, we're watching. But it's not believable. Well, because who isn't somebody else? Somebody else was sniffing around this. It was, um, well, it was, it was Gary, and now Gary's on side. On side. So Abby, he's just going Abby's after all the gingers. He's just going after all the gingers, getting them on side. Well, who's next? He's going to have a little ginger army of people working for him. Fizz. Oh, now that that I could believe. Yeah, I mean, she already works for Gary, so... Mm -hmm. Or does she? Did No, Gary hired her back, didn't he? He let her go. Yeah, Maria forced him to hire hire her back. Good job, Maria. (laughs) I would kind of prefer Debbie not to be involved in it. I don't know, Debbie kind of... Because Ray I get, because Ray doesn't have any history on the street, and to him it's just business, but Debbie does. And I find that that's what adds interest for me is that Debbie has history on the street and what's in it for her and, and why does she want to tear the whole street down I think if she hadn't have left for so long then it would have maybe maybe would have worked but I don't know we don't know what her um, what her situation is in Turkey we don't know what really the truth is of that situation how successful she's being or, or otherwise but I don't know just to suddenly come back and then to suddenly want to tear the whole street down just I don't know it kind of feels like it might have been her idea in the first place to build a big skyscraper no to for I think it was Oliver's idea for that <laughs> Start knocking. he did like his ideas knocking bricks together look at those big feet <laughs> oh, a little earthquake happening here anyway let's move on Yes. I think this might be our penultimate story. Yay! It is. Woo! It is Archdeacon Blues. Oh, I like what you did there. Mm-hmm. Very clever. <laughs> and the award for... Very clever Scotsman goes to <laughs> Gavin Broom for a second year in a row. Yay! On Wednesday. Paul's up in his now obligatory rainbow unicorn onesie. I'm getting a little bit bored of this. I love it. That was that was funny to start with. Now it's just... Well, this, this is a second outing, isn't it? He is in... It's better than him being in sweatpants all the time. That's true. He's running late for work, sleeping in after a late shift at the helpline, but not so late that he can't spend time on Billy's laptop eyeing up the new Archdeacon digs. The house is massive and Paul can't wait to tell his mum. Billy, though, who can't see someone else's parade without wanting to piss all over it, isn't so sure it's right for the three of them. Paul is having a quick shut eye at work when Sarah catches him and in keeping with how she's behaving towards him of late she gives him a bunch of jobs to do he can forget about his break and if he has a problem with that he can fuck off and not come back Todd notices this and tells him that he's on the naughty list now Paul can't be arsed and goes for a pee surely he's still allowed to do that mm-hmm. 
Then later, Paul shows off the new house to Bernie. So he's left work to go to the kebab shop to tell Bernie about the house that's supposedly his lunch. She thought Vickers were meant to be Povos. And Paul can't believe a proper house is in his future for him and Billy to grow old together in. Bernie is already making well, plans as long as for he a has, granny flat. As long as he has the job. Right. Because once he loses the job, he loses the house. Correct. So Paul's back from making deliveries dead chuff for himself, while Sarah, who's supposed to be at a conference in another storyline, wanders by telling him that rather than delivering PPE to Eddie General, he's delivered <clears throat> people bras. Paul was sure that he got the right order, but when Sarah calls him a moron, he tells her to stick her job up her arse. Right, right up, up her arse. Todd, pantomime villain and incorrigible prick all rolled into one, observes from a half-open door and laughs maniacally. Yeah. Which made me think that he'd swapped the orders around. Yes, I think he did. But then we don't, we don't really learn that this week. Now, I would have kind of thought we'd got some closure on it. I- and what are they doing making people bras? I thought they were this kind of classy, elegant, designed by Nina Knicker Factory. Well, I think they have different lines. They have like the... And you can have an elegant peephole bra. It's very can, elegant can and you... beautiful with like little holes for your little nips to get some air in. I, I know what a peephole bra is. Do you? I, the clue is in the name. <laughs> Even if you don't know. I thought it was a strange thing for Coronation Street to mention and also a strange thing for Underworld to make. I think they're only making it and they only mentioned it because it's something that kind of sounds like PPE. Right. At home, Paul is nonplussed about losing his job given the big house in his future. But Billy has been drinking lots of liquids in preparation of pissing on Paul's chips. (laughs) He's been speaking to some homeless people like Carol and he's asked the bishop to turn the manse into a halfway house because that would happen. Yeah, I don't want this big house. Let's turn it into a halfway house instead. Right. Instead of, I don't want this big house. It seems extravagant. But Let's it was fine it. for the previous archdeacon right. and right. all the other previous archdeacons. Right, and it's probably been church property for decades, if right. not centuries. Millennia. <laughs> this big house has been... Owned by whatever church. The Church of England, I think it is, isn't it? Is he Church of England? I think he's Who knows? At the factory, Sarah's apologising to the hospital. Todd comes along, singing Paul's praises and explaining that Paul is tired from the counselling hotline that he works on. Sarah yeah, feels... because Sarah seems to think that he's hungover and that he just goes out partying. Right. Because that's what you do when you're dating a vicar. You go out and you party all the time. Right. Sarah feels awful, so later when she sees Paul cleaning out his stuff, she tells him that he's still an employee as far as she's concerned, and she admits to being a bit mean earlier. She wants him to stay. He wants to stay too, and that's that. And it's Todd Paul should be thanking, she says. Yeah, see, Todd is playing a long game here. It's not even that long a game. (laughs) Well... Todd is playing an obvious game here. Well, yeah, it is... nobody seems to be able to see. It is a long game, though, because... The end result he's looking for is to get back with Billy. So this is going to be a very long game. Only it doesn't seem to work in his favor and it keeps backfiring, which is hilarious. Yeah, he's a bit um, dick dastardly, isn't he? Yes. Because he's a nice guy, that's what Paul does. He goes to thank Todd and then Mm. says, it's a chippy tea for one, a chippy tea. And if if it hadn't been for David the dog, he'd also have had a kebab for his lunch. Right, but David kind of the dog. Kind of worried about Paul's diet here. <laughs> and I'm kind of worried about David the dog running around loose without 
David the human. I think Bernie was joking. I think she she made some insinuation that she was joking that David the dog didn't really eat the kebab. Right, but why David the dog specifically, as opposed to the other dogs of Coronation Street? Oh, we're supposed to not specify that it's the dog that we're talking about. Because it's been so long <laughs> since we've done that little trope. Yeah. David the human came around and stole Sean's, or not Sean. Paul. Paul's. Kebab. Kebab. Do you want me to just say but, that sentence for you? <laughs> but not like that. <laughs> right. So, David's Billy... David's been gnawing on Paul's kebab. <laughs> no wonder he's in such a film. Really, yeah, it doesn't really work when you think of a, a British kebab as opposed to what Americans think of when they think kebab. Because we think shish kebab. Mm-hmm. Which is more... Oh, God, just for a good old dog. Phallic in shape. Yeah, Billy's working late. The surplus prayer requests or something, and Todd suggests that he and Sean all get together for a battered sausage. But not like that. Well. So they decamp to Paul's flat. Apparently Billy is working with the bishop. <clears throat> but not like that. <laughs> Paul tells him about the house getting fucked thanks to homeless people. He pretends like He pretends to be fine about it, and he and Todd get wired into another drink. Todd proceeds to keep Paul wound up about the house thing. Maybe the church isn't ready for him and his family, and it isn't fair for the church to make Billy ashamed. Sean kind of sees what's happening here while yeah, Todd he pretends does. it's the booze talking. Todd suggests a game of truth or dare and then dares Paul to wear Billy's God uniform, which he does just as Billy comes in. God uniform? Mm-hmm. I couldn't think of what it was called. Robes? <laughs> right. I thought it was like a Cossack, but then a Cossack's like a Russian soldier or something, isn't it? Right, but it's also what the Russian soldiers wear. Is it? They wear robes? Sometimes. I don't know. See, this is why I got confused and I think I went for something safe, like God uniform. The party's over and Billy is sitting in his important chair with his important arms crossed against his important chest, now getting to give Paul an important lecture. He thought Paul had more respect for him. Paul isn't having it. He's Billy's partner when it suits. Where was his invite to see the the bishop? And where was his opinion when Billy fucked a house idea without consulting him? Billy didn't think Paul bothered and Paul wonders if Billy's ashamed of him Billy says that he loves Paul Paul says that he doesn't feel like it on Friday poor Paul Paul is up early tidying up the house from the night before before Billy can give him a hard time about it Billy is dismissive about Paul's feelings because Paul dressed up in Billy's robes and was mocking him but he concedes that maybe he should have consulted Paul about this house thing even though it was immoral to accept it thus pissing all over the previous archdeacons who were happy to accept yeah well (laughs) And he apologises for preventing Paul from living rent-free. In fairness... Paul insists that isn't what it was about and sums out. Those previous archdeacons probably had much larger families than Billy because they were married to women and procreated a lot. Paul <laughs> is sitting on Maxine's bench when Todd, the shit-eater, comes along who offers to have a word with Billy about the cloak thing and take responsibility for it. Paul tells him to mind his own fucking business, he'll sort it out himself. Later, Billy and his man bag are trying to phone Paul when he bumps into Todd, who continues to sow some bad faith seeds. Billy again tells Todd to mind his own fucking business, he'll sort it out himself. Todd is on Billy's side about the house, and this is all it takes to get Billy to soften up a bit, not seeing what Todd's doing here. Then Paul and Billy meet up at the flat. They both now are able to see each other's point of view. Billy should have consulted Paul. Paul doesn't think he'd have fitted into a big mansion anyway. Billy says he's happy in the flat with his little family, and he says that he can't lie because he's a vicar. And they and they love each other very much, and so that you know puts a puts a wrench in in Todd's long game. Only Todd doesn't know it yet. Then outside, summer's back. 
Yeah, like a foot taller. Uh, <laughs> and blonder. And who knows what age she is? <laughs> because they never mention it. If only there was some way to tell. Paul sees her getting out of a taxi. He's glad that she's back. Summer's happy to be back until she sees Todd. Todd tries to explain, but Summer is the third person in four scenes to tell him to fuck off. Yes. So Summer gets back to the flat. Todd just invites himself in. She accuses him of abandoning abandoning her, which she did. He says it was for the best. She doesn't want to know, doesn't want to forgive him, tells him to fuck off for a second time and storms off to her room. Paul, for whatever reason, is apologetic and he says that he'll work on her. Because he's a nice guy. Paul finds Summer on Maxine's bench. Summer wants a bench named after her. Paul tries to sell Summer on the Todd idea, saying that he's only back for her, which, isn't, which conver- isn't true at all. The whole bench conversation was quite dark, wasn't it? A little. With Paul saying, all right, Summer, when you die, <laughs> we'll name a bench after you. As if, he, you know, just assuming that he and Billy will outlive this child. <laughs> right. Quite dark. Well, that's Coronation Street. <laughs> That survived the last one. Oh. But yeah, this whole, the only reason Todd's back is for Summer. Well, yeah. Paul, it's not, it's pa- Paul's laughing. Yeah, Paul's lying there. But, you know, he's trying to do what's best for Summer or what he thinks is best for Summer. He's being, he's trying to be a good stepdad. Summer thinks Todd was great while it lasted. Paul thinks that, that uh, Todd deserves a second chance because he's on his 50th chance. Yeah, 50,000th, says Summer. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was tough. Yeah. That, that took less than a scene to, I, to talk Summer around. Yeah, this seriously pissed me off that that Summer comes around to Todd that quickly when so much was made of, you know, new Summer returns and we'll have a face-off with, you know, with Todd and we'll not accept him back and, oh, what's going to happen? And this is going to be like this huge thing with Todd trying to, earn her love and trust back and so much was made of it and then it doesn't even take a whole episode for it to resolve itself it resolves itself in less than one scene seriously she's angry at todd and then she's not angry with todd because paul talks around with a with a terrible explanation right that seems to work even though the old summer would be much too smart for that yeah because summer was like the smartest kid Amongst that group. She's certainly smarter than Amy and... Well, yes. You know, she's the sensible one who says, why on earth would you take your clothes off? Right. For a boy you're not dating. Right. Right. Why would anybody do that? You know, and <laughs> and, and then, you know, talking around Kelly and... Yeah, you're an awful person, Kelly. But you're also homeless, so you can stay with us. Right. Yeah, that's a summer we know and love. Uh, let's give her. I'm giving her the benefit, the benefit of the doubt because we haven't really seen an awful lot of her uh, to make up her mind. She does seem to be quite confident in the role, which is good. Yes. Yeah. Um, I thought it was hilarious though when you know she's talking to Paul and then she looks over and sees Todd and says you, and he says you, and it's like these two people have never seen each other hilarious. before in their lives. Right. Because they've both played by different people. Right. That was very funny. If only we could have got a, a new Billy in as well. That would just be... No, because I... We were... I, I, like this, I like this Billy's face. Mercy Tart mentioned this a few uh, 
weeks ago, this this kind of line of the two of them getting seen each other and or been back. There was that still where it's summer and she's got uh, Billy and Todd standing behind her, and it's a uh, new Todd and it's a new summer. And it's the same old Billy. It's the same Billy, but it would be funny if if everyone had changed. <laughs> but I I wanted it to be the same actors, but just all playing different characters. Right, like Billy <laughs> is Summer, and Summer is Todd, and Todd is Billy. Just roll dice and figure it out. <laughs> But some are coming back, not really thinking that she knows who people are, but not having a clue because they're all they're all Jenny now for some reason. Right. Anyway, <laughs> then back home, Billy gets a chance to say Summer's name because everyone has to say Summer when they see mm-hmm. Summer for the first time to summer. reinforce that it's Summer. She explains that she's had a word with Todd thanks to Paul's, Paul's advice. She explains that Todd thought that he was doing the right thing, although she'll never agree to that. So it doesn't sound like Todd has managed to say very much uh, that was anything like convincing Right, yeah, it's all because of it's all because of Paul that she's like, eh, fine. And I was surprised that Billy wasn't crestfallen that he had nothing to do with. He should be, because that's the one thing that you would think that he would be crestfallen about. (laughs) Because he's crestfallen about everything that doesn't that doesn't resolve. Yeah, that doesn't resolve itself because of him. Fucking hate Billy. (laughs) Later, Paul gets home and Billy treats him like his Kofi Annan after that two second chat that he had with Summer. It's like my three gay dads. It really is. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Remember when you misremembered my two dads thinking that they were a couple? Was that last week? It was last week or the week before. (laughs) So yeah, so that was was summer back. That was how Coronation Street is dealing with the fact that Billy's got a promotion that usually comes with a house, but aren't going to move them into the house because they don't have a say for it. Right. It, they could turn shady acres into the, into right. the new. Um, yeah, certainly they they, they the must. Archdeacon man. They must still have that set lying around somewhere, or oh, at least bits of it. Or whatever a manse is called in the Church of England. Or you know, um, Nina's old house, which looked really nice from the outside, and then the inside had been converted oh, into like horrible apartments. Horrible flats. Just you know, take out the flats, and you still have the nice old house. Right. It could work. No, it won't. It really made me sad, though, because that whole conversation that Paul has with with his mum about, you know, growing up, I never thought I'd be the type of person who'd be allowed to live in a proper house and have a proper a proper life and everything. That was it was really heartwarming. And so for Billy to just immediately piss all over that, Mm -hmm. that's that's what really upset me about the whole thing. Yeah. And oh, you wanted the house so you could have free rent. Yeah. Was kind of Shut cruel. the fuck up, Billy. Right, see? This is what I've been saying. Now, we have some pressure on us for this next storyline. Do we? Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, our Canadian librarian friend, uh, Christy, was going to write a blog post about the Carlin Peter situation. Mm-hmm. But she didn't get around to it. Mm-hmm. And so she's going to be listening with interest to find out what we think about it. Mm. Yes, because she quoted us in her last blog piece. Christy and I tend to agree about a lot of stuff and there are things that happen in this storyline that just I don't believe would happen. A very big one I don't believe would happen. On Monday, Simon is still disbelieving of the verdict, calling it an open and shut case. Peter agrees. Yeah, an open and shut case to let the child die. 
Pierre agrees, but Carla's a little less sure, pointing out that Oliver is a very sick little boy. Simon knows that Oliver's going to die, but doesn't think a coach should get to decide when. And then he goes off to the hospital, choosing to take a bus rather than accept a ride from Peter. Which is an interesting point by Simon, and I think that's like basically the only point that they're... The only valid point there is, is that, you know, it's, it's up for the family to decide, but not at the expense of... Simon's opinion on all this is a red herring. Well, yes. Because that's not what this scene is about. No. The scene's about Carla disagreeing with Peter. No. Because everything that happens is a result of this. Right. Yes. And that's kind of my problem with this, <laughs> is the kind of speed at which... Well, I... Yes and no. I mean, let's be honest. Carla and Peter have kind of been knocking heads together for a while now. This mm-hmm. is just... This is just yet another bit that moves that moves for, forward tragedy. Yeah, I, I so guess. it's not all hinged upon poor Simon. No, they, they haven't been living, they haven't living been happy. La Vida Loca no. um, last week and suddenly th- this is mm-hmm. the first hint of it. But this is kind of build up as the first thing that happens on Monday. Yes. This is build up as being the, as the kind of... This, the thing that's going to start an argument that is then going to kind of snowball and, and become but it's, more and more out of control. But you're right, in previous weeks... We've been, had more arguments and they haven't really been... There have been niggles. They insist that they love each other. There's more niggles. Mm-hmm. They kind of forgive each other and then and they pass things up again. And I would argue that some of this stuff is more than a niggle. Like Peter... There are definitely things that should be that, talked about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so Carla's got a call from the Chariot Square conference confirming that they're all booked in. For a conference during a pandemic. Right. Which is just like, basically, it seems to be like right in town for the many times that Carla and Sarah keep jumping back and forth between the this conference that we never see. It feels round the corner. It really does. So the disagreement between Carla and Peter continues when they get back to the rovers. Peter saying he was only keeping Simon's chin up. Carla insisting that he was ignoring facts as per usual. And this develops into a bit more than a disagreement when Carla says that he's ignoring the us thing as well. Peter Sarkley Sarkley apologises, saying that he's got a bit on his plate considering he's helping Simon cope with Oliver's illness. But Carla, quite rightly, I think, refuses to fall for it, saying Peter only became interested in this yesterday. And there seems to be uh, not-so-subtle digs from Peter that Carla doesn't know because she's not a mum, so she has no idea what anyone's feeling here. Peter tries to backtrack... Carla tells him to quit while he's several laps behind. <laughs> yeah, because there's a reason. <laughs> yeah, so the, you, you're digging your the, own the, grave here, Peter, because yeah, you are the reason. <laughs> the scab that you're picking up might be on your own knee here. Right. And it only gets worse sometime later when Peter asks Carla if she's calmed down from earlier. Oh, God, it's <laughs> like he's asking if she's on her period. Yep. She reminds him of why she's not a mother, because she miscarried Peter's baby when he had a fling with OG Tina. Then, why are we back together, he asks. She wonders if a condition to the reconciliation was never mentioning the baby that they lost or the fact that he was shagging a 22-year-old barmaid. He leaves for work as she reminds him that there's always another woman at the front of his mind, Tina, Abby, and at one time, it used to be her. Yeah, which I thought was big of her to admit. And also... Carla, if if you can admit this, then baby Peter's right. Baby, you really shouldn't be with him because you should know by now. You knew it was a snake when you picked it up. <laughs> right. To quote Beyonce. <laughs> I'm a single lady. I'm a single lady. I know that's not the lyric. <laughs> 
I do it to annoy people. And by people, he means me. <laughs> and, it, and it works. And the children. It particularly annoys the children. It particularly annoys Betty for some reason. Because he says that I'm not a single lady. Yes. Because so be Betty a is a member of the wanted. beehive. <laughs> While Stella is a lamb. Peter is in his taxi trying to get a hold of his sponsor. And Nick's a little monster. When he can't get him, he calls Carla, who answers just as Peter hangs up. And later, she sees Adam outside the cabin and wonders if he's sniffing around after Cathy now. That was <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> Poor Cathy. By the way, she'd be on that, like, fucking shit off Listen, a shovel. people, let's not forget that Cathy used to be married to Sean Bean, okay? <laughs> she can get it. She can get it. <laughs> Timbuk4000 says she can get it. <laughs> you he really wa- need to make that now. Timbuk4000 <laughs> says Kathy can get it. Oh, there's so many Timbuks that I should be making. He <laughs> wonders if she's jealous for his attention. That'll be our next t-shirt. Kathy can get it. <laughs> Carly says. Carly? Carla says there's six billion women on the planet. Why does he have to chase after one that works for Sarah? It's jeopardising the business. He sprinkles chaos everywhere he goes. Adam corrects her global population estimate and promises that he's casting his net further afield now. Uh-huh. You kind of know, I think, at this point. At this point, there's been enough previous scenes with Adam and Carla to know that something is going to happen. Yeah, here. as both Christy and I think Ben Price fanpage have pointed out, they've been hinting at this for quite some time quite now. Quite a while. Weeks. And it's been irritating all of us. <laughs> that Cassie thing was great. <laughs> Peter's parked on a she side can street. get it. And Janice from accounting doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> Peter's parked on a side street, sitting on a bonnet, having a quiet vape. When a ne'er-do-well comes along, he's straight out of Oliver Twist, this guy. He wants a cab ride. Peter tells him that he's not allowed to pick up people in the street. He has to. The guy has to phone the number on the top of the car right, first. Yes. But the guy doesn't have a phone and wants to use Peter's. Peter tells him to bolt. And it quickly escalates into the makings of a square go. And so they do. They square up to each other. And it's like, oh, we're going to have a fight here. We don't have a and fight we do. Here, but we don't see any of it. We don't see any of it because COVID. Because what happens next is that the taxi is speeding off and Peter is sprawled on the road, clutching his ribs, covered in jam. Remember the last time that a streetcar's taxi was stolen by a guy who illegally gets into the streetcar's cab? Oh, that was Steve. That was Steve. Yeah, and he was the getaway car. Right, yeah. And Steve what was wrong with Johnny? Killed. He could have got Johnny to do that. <laughs> yes. Steve was left. So this is by the canal. Right. The guy was going to knife him, wasn't he? Yeah. Mm. Steve almost died. So Peter got off light. Although... I like sprinkling of jam. It, I was kind of surprised because you'd think that Peter could hold his own. At least better than Steve. I put up a bit, bit more of a fight. And guys that are wanting to steal taxis, they, they tend not to target people who can put up a bit of a fight. They'd rather go with somebody who can't put up a bit of a fight. Right. But Peter looks like he... Peter with his U.S. Navy jacket. Right. Even though he wasn't in the U.S. Navy. You don't know that. You don't know what he's seen. He must have swapped it. He must have... He swapped his... He swapped his, you know, British Navy... Helicopter impersonation. He swapped his British Navy jacket with some guy from the U.S. Navy back during Nam. Because that that's how that works, definitely. Carla goes to see Adam at the lawyer's office to apologise. She and Peter ha- had words and she took it out on him. Being cooped up on that boat wasn't easy, she says. I can imagine that's true. God, yeah. She explains about his reaction to Oliver, essentially calling him a, calling her a spinster. 
Fuck me, says Adam, that's worthy of a cappuccino, and he goes off to get her one. He's not wrong there. Meanwhile, Peter is approached by a kindly old man who checks Peter is okay. The old guy <laughs> phones the coppers and offers Peter a swig from his hip flask. A kindly old man who once sold a dog named Boomer. <laughs> <laughs> Throws it over to him. Peter initially resists, but looks tempted while the old guy is audibly surprised that his phone works. Oh, my phone works. Yeah, it's like the stereotypical old man with a phone. <laughs> right. Old old man uses technology for mm-hmm. first time, like caveman. Go boom. Carl and Adam chat about the situation with Peter. Adam advises her to give him a call, talk it out. Then he tells her that she was right about Alina and Naomi. He was just trying to move on as quickly as possible and make Sarah jealous. Carl thinks he might have some talking of his own to do. Mm-hmm. So later the old man and Peter are about to say their farewells as Peter waits on the police. The old guy is cheering until he realises that Peter has drained his hip flask dry. Oops, says Peter, with a hiccup. Yeah, at, at no point in in all of this with Peter drinking, does he ever act drunk? And that's, I think, a problem I have with this whole thing. He well, drinks so that, that whole hip flask. I wouldn't expect him to be drunk after that. How long has it been since he's had a drink? Like a, like a year. So his tolerance is at rock bottom where, you know, one glass of wine would probably make him a wee bit tipsy. Maybe. You know, it's like people who are on heroin who get off heroin for a long time and then go back and try to use the same amount that they were using before they stopped. And that's how they die because their body no longer has the tolerance for it anymore. And so he never acts drunk. Even when he's passed out, he's not acting drunk because he's passed out. Well, there is one scene where he acts drunk, and he acts very drunk. And he does it very well, I have to say. Yeah, he's much better than Ryan at it. <laughs> oh, God. Carla's back at the rovers, leaving a message on Peter's phone that he doesn't have, telling him that she's sorry and that she loves him. And it's night by the time that the police drop off Peter, still covered in jam, outside the rovers. Right. Supposedly he's been to the hospital, and yet he's still covered in jam and has no bandages on. Right. What? Maybe he hasn't been to the hospital. Mm. Would the police take him? The police would take him to the hospital. He thinks about going on, but puts his hand in his pocket and walks away. And we next see him coming out of the copy, putting a bottle inside his jacket. It might be booze, but my initial thought was that looks like mouthwash. <laughs> and it is mouthwash. Well, it's it's still alcohol-based. Oh, but I don't think he's... No, he's not He's not trying to drink it, I don't think. He's trying to get rid of the, right, yeah. the smell of... But still, he, so, could in a, he, he could in a twist. I've known... Alcoholics to drink a whole bottle of Robitussin. Peter gets home expecting Carla to be in bed, but she's up. What's with all the jam? She asks, all concerned. Like he explains that he's been to the police in the hospital and still needs it was to a speak drive to by Steve. F- it was a drive-by fruiting. <laughs> she's so she's so apologetic and goes to make some tea. He goes to clean up. By which means this is doubtfire impression ever. I wasn't going to say. He goes to clean up. By which means go outside and get wired into that bottle of mouthwash. <laughs> On Wednesday, Peter slept on the couch. He was too up to high dough, what with everything that was going on, and he checks with Carla to make sure that they're both okay. Carla says that they are, and then remembers a conference that she and Sarah are planning on going to today. Peter tells her to stick to her plans, he's fine, and not even a cheeky wee night away with Carla at a hotel is enough to drag him away from the rovers, and he's logging a look at a bottle of whiskey that's sitting on the table. Why is that whiskey sitting on the table? Johnny. He just leaves it there? <laughs> Why not? Sarah is leaving uh, Roy's rolls when she drops some blank pieces of paper and is stropping to Adam when he offers to help pick them up. She quickly apologises and then the two of them talk about Steve stopping Oliver's appeal and then apologise for what happened last week outside the factory. 
Adam offers his ear if she needs to talk. Carla nabs Adam, observing that he and Sarah were just civil to each other and that she's still wearing her wedding ring. Force of habit, says Adam, except I'm pretty sure that they've been separated longer than they've been married. Right, and yeah. Yeah, because he's still wearing his too. Adam's heard about Peter's taxi problems and Carla reveals that she's not sure where she stands with Peter right now. She gives some details of a lunch appointment that she had with Sarah that she wants to call off. Maybe Adam can take it and get some use out of that hotel room. Nush, uh-huh. nush, wink, wink. So Adam shows up at the fancy hotel and explains to Sarah about Carla's Cupid routine. Sarah's confused. Last week he's chasing after Alina. This week he's having a blind date with her. He, real- he realises how much he wants to be there for her with all of her stuff going on. And he asks for a chance, but will go quietly if she wants. And he's actually quite nice about this. Yes. So they start to reminisce. What happens to us, he asks. Well, you slept with Naomi, she says. He wanted to hurt her like she hurt him. And she says that she wasn't unfaithful. Oh, really? He asks. And he brings up Gary and the unbreakable vow that she seems to have with him. Sarah leaves, suggesting that Adam have lunch with Gary next time, seeing as that he's so obsessed with him. That was pleasant for, and I timed it, 27 seconds. Yeah, yeah. Adam just can't help himself. He's got to bring up Gary. Right. And Sarah can't help herself. She's got to be irrationally upset every time Adam brings up Gary. Because, mm-hmm. like... He has a reason, remember? Right. She knows that Gary killed knows. somebody. <laughs> and she knows that he has a reason, and so that's why she gets so upset, is because of guilt. It's easy to forget, rather, what Sarah knows about this. Right. That she, she's not just sick because he keeps on bringing up Gary. She's sick because he keeps on bringing up Gary and he's right. Yeah, Absolutely. So Abby comes into the Rovers, having heard what happened to Peter. She's closely followed by the old guy from yesterday. Peter did mention that he lived at the Rovers, after all. Yes, he did. His name's Barry, and he takes credit for finding Peter and helping him out. Proper state, he was in all covered in jam, says Barry. (laughs) Along comes comes Peter, and he invites Barry through the back to make sure Barry's mouth doesn't run off. Abby's left feeling either unneeded or suspicious or concerned. Or all three. And now Carla turns up at the hotel... Adam knows that he and Sarah are done for good now after that conversation. Carla is already bunking off the conference as she joins Adam for a drink or ten. At the Rovers, Barry's on his way when Abby checks to make sure Peter said thank you properly. I worried for a moment about what that meant, but Barry reveals <laughs> but Barry reveals that he was satisfactorily recompensed by Peter replacing all that whiskey that he drank from Barry's hip flask yesterday and then a blowjob. <laughs> Abby smiles, but not really. Through the back... Peter is pacing aimlessly and then grabs a whiskey and has a long swig of it. That's two blowjob jokes in the same episode. They were on special. (laughs) Blow one, get one free. (laughs) Such a child. Back Back in the hotel. Yes. Carla is still avoiding the conference as she and Adam chat about relationships. Adam thinks he's going to stick to one night stands from now on, which sounds like a healthy way to go mm. during the pandemic. Carla says under the bravado that he's a big softie. He calls her a soft touch, letting Peter walk all over her, not realising how important she is. I felt that was kind of a pivotal moment in this, the fact that someone called Carla a soft touch. Yeah. So if there's one thing Carla isn't. Or one thing that she doesn't want to be seen as. Yeah. And I wondered how much of what happens next has its genesis in Adam questioning how much Carol lets Peter walk all over her. Mm. Does Peter walk all over her? Yes. To what extent? The whole... And the fact... uh, 
And I mean, it will happen later on when when Abby tells Carla about, well, hints at the hole. Yeah. It's an ascending note. Yes. <laughs> you know, Peter wants to be the hero of his own story. And yet, whenever he's not the hero of his own story, he pushes Carla down, you know, and won't allow her to to help or be in control of anything. And, and she lets him get away with it. And it's so not her character, you know, it's, it's like, she's Carla. She's strong and she's independent, except when she's with Peter. It's such a bad relationship. It's right. so codependent and awful. Yeah. And he does, you know, and she, she lets him get away with things she would never let anyone else get away with. So when it comes to Peter, she's a light touch. But in reaction to being called a soft touch, Carla's suddenly worried that she's going to have Adam hanging out of her later. So officially she says, <laughs> fuck it to the conference and goes home to see Peter, saying Sarah doesn't know what she's got. Mm-hmm. Abby approaches Peter in the backyard of the Rovers. She knows that he's had a drink and he admits to not telling Carla or his sponsor that he's one day sober. Maybe not even one day. If he wants her to help, he says, he'll ask for it. Which he's is fine. Which is rich coming from the asshole who keeps sticking his nose in every other character's, out, you know, oh. addiction storyline. How many times did he... Knocking on Yasmin's door saying, you know, that he'll take her to a meeting. Determined to take Abby to a meeting. Dragging Abby to a meeting. <laughs> Kicking and screaming. Having this... Uh, surreptitious relationship that's on the down low that he can't tell anybody because it's not his business but he's making it his business to make sure that Abby is and when Abby basically just asks him a question he's so dismissive of her right yeah and I hate Peter I hate (laughs) Peter more than you hate Billy so Abby goes to grab Carla outside the tram stop telling her that Peter isn't doing so great and needs help Carl thinks Abby's known Peter for three minutes and tells her to beat it. She gets home and is pissed when Peter isn't over the moon to see her and is insisting that she goes back to the conference. She confronts him about this and Abby's worries and he scoffs. He insists he's fine again and worries that he's walking into a trap here. Carla knows when Peter is lying and insists that he tell her and he admits to have having a drink. A drink, he says. He says it's different, but she says he's drinking and lying about it. She can't ignore it. He says he isn't drinking again. He had one drink. He's not that bloke anymore. He says mm-hmm. he's fine and says that she and insists that she goes to the conference again. Carla suggests uh, a meeting, but Peter, who was fucking made of meetings a few <laughs> weeks ago, says he doesn't need one just because he had a, a few swigs. And this is when Carla notices a bottle and a glass next to it. A mm-hmm. few swigs. She asks if he drank today. He admits it, but he's not drunk. He's stronger and in control, he says. <laughs> She tells him that he's not well and they need to face this together, but Peter is still in denial, chucking everything away, Simon and her. He reminds her that he saved her from the gutter, and she asks why. All he did was fight hard. He throws this back in her face, the dynamic of her being fucked up and him being a white knight never worked. It was always better for her if he was a drunk and she was a guardian angel. She loves it when he's a wreck. She's the one with the saviour complex. Oh, God. She's still a mess. She always will be. And she has a nerve to want to fix him. Oh, the projection here. He doesn't need fixing and he doesn't need her. And so she grabs her bag and she leaves. Ah, the projection here. Yeah. Yeah. Everything he's saying... Is really him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And not her. What an asshole. Uh, has she challenged him about this? I, 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 
I couldn't remember. I remember that, that during the whole Abbey thing that we had this train of thought where, you know, he was... I think she did yeah, bring she up did. where he was a white knight. Yeah. And he needed a project and, right, and all yes. that sort of stuff. So that has been yes. brought to his attention. But then yes. she's turning this round and saying oh, that this is her, that she needs... Yeah. She's not the guardian angel here, Peter, if that is your real name. <laughs> you suck. And so she heads back to the hotel for the second or third time today. <laughs> right, I'm yeah. Track. Seriously, that can't be that far away. <laughs> Surprised to see that Adam's still there. Obviously upset and angry, she reveals that Peter's fallen off the wagon and she's off to her room to get wasted and Adam follows at the back of her. And he's like... He's pretty drunk himself because he's been sitting there drinking all day. Although he insists that he's drinking soda water at the end, so I don't think he's that drunk at all. I think he knows exactly what he's doing and I think he could have um, decided not to. I don't think he's... I don't think he's lost control of his no. Of his yeah, actions. I think he's he's more in the wrong here than Carla is. Right, she's not drunk either. Well, they've had a few glasses of wine. I don't think right. either one of them's drunk. No, she but is, she's upset and emotional, and he's horny. Wants to kill Peter, or yes, wants to hurt him very very strongly. He has one moment of uncertainty that I think is played in bad faith outside mm-hmm. the room where he says well I don't know if, if we should do this to my uncle or whatever mm-hmm. and she just basically drags him in saying that the bed's too big for one person right so that was his one moment yeah to realise what is about to after happen after he's here. followed her to her room without being asked to follow her to her room right in fact specifically told not to follow her to her room right this has gone over two hours this week yeah Ugh. it's fine on Friday I, then. I'm sure we can cut out a blowjob joke or two. <laughs> but then the other one won't, won't make sense. <laughs> On Friday, the hotel must have an early checkout policy because Carla and Adam are getting dressed as quickly as possible. Adam not even taking time to button his shirt beyond his navel. This was mis- a mistake, says Carla. He's with Sarah and she's with Peter. Adam insists that this wasn't in his plans either, although he has to admit that Carla is super fit. Not the time. Not the time. Read the room, not Adam. Not the time. Meanwhile at the Rovers, Johnny and Jenny creep down the stairs. Jenny's sure that she's heard something. Turns out that something is a someone. Peter has passed out in one of the booths, an empty bottle of whiskey in front of him. Jenny suggests that they wake him up and get him to hospital because we haven't had a hospital scene since Monday. Yeah. Three days since hospital scene. Hmm. Now it's zero days since hospital scene. Correct. A little later, Adam, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory to see Carla. No one else is there because it's early. It's really dark outside still. Mm -hmm. He thinks that they need to talk about what happened. No. Why does... Carla doesn't think that uh, he was that memorable. He wants her to promise to keep quiet about it and rather than just humour him, she says that she can't do that and she has to be left alone. Outside, it's still fucking dark, by the way. Sarah's up and bumps into boring Daniel who's up because Bertie won't go down to sleep. But it's morning Daniel. He's meant to wake up. Sarah can't sleep either. No, but he hasn't slept all night. So he's off for an early start at the factory, but not before she sees an aggressive Jenny get Peter into Johnny's car to get him to the hospital. I thought that scene was great. That was great. It's Johnny like, and Jenny in that whole thing were just... Because Peter is determined to get back into that <laughs> Rovers and start drinking again until right. Jenny barks at him. She just... <laughs> she becomes some kind of... Uh, some monster. <laughs> the face peels off and there's a kind of lizard <laughs> underneath her. She just bars at him. And he's like, oh, fucking hell. And he kind of... Stoats back into the into the car and, and the, the creepy, doesn't complain. The creepy down the stairs together was great too. It was, it was like Scooby-Doo. classic Jenny and Johnny. Right. 
So, <clears throat> back at the factory, Adam is busy stating the obvious. If this thing that he got into of his own accord gets out, it'll tear his family apart. Well, if Daniel can throw your granddad down the stairs and still have a place for Christmas dinner, I think y'all will get over it. Callan doesn't think it's that simple. That's her moral compass, is it, she? How can she look Peter in the face again? Then Sarah cooeys from the door and Adam slinks into the shadows. Sarah wonders why Carla's sitting in the dark and then tells Carla about Peter. He looked quite drunk. Carla gets ready to go to the hospital when Adam, the clumsy shite that he is, knocks over a squeaky toy in the supply cupboard. What's that, asks Sarah. Carla dismisses it as nothing and Sarah ah. reads the situation pretends to go back home to pick up her phone but it's very much a nudge nudge wink wink kind of thing. But see, they missed a great opportunity for Carla to say, I think it's a rat. Right. Because that would have been great. Because that would have been a callback to last week's rat situation. Right. <laughs> and Jenny earlier thinking that it was a rat that made the glass fall and break. Right. So... Uh, despite the fact that Peter is in hospital, Adam still wants to talk to Carla about them. Carla understandably has had enough and sends Adam out the loading bay, but not like that. Carla gets to the hospital and Peter has sobered up somewhat. He apologises for everything. It was all an excuse to get drunk. He loves her, but all he does is hurt her. She'd be better off without him. Yeah. She rejects this as the doctor arrives, who's worried about Peter's liver, and it might be best to get a referral to an al- alcoholic thing. Reminding Peter that he may be one drink away from a potentially fatal bleed. Yeah. Dr. Ling on a little thick there. No. Later, Carla phones Johnny telling him the doctors are letting Peter go. Meanwhile, Adam goes round to see boring Daniel. They speak about Peter, but Daniel has been too busy lately to see him and suggests that Adam speaks with Carla. So all three of them have been with Carla now. Oh, God. Just needs Ken to complete the set. Oh, no. (laughs) And that's true. Now that you think about it. You know, why does Adam think that this is going to tear them apart when she's already been with Daniel? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Peter seems to be okay with the fact that he's sharing with his his little brother. Yep. Ay, ay, ay. Back at the Rovers, Peter's found time to get a new phone. He and Carla are both looking shattered and he thinks that she didn't get much sleep after the conference. (laughs) Peter goes on about all the good things in his life that he keeps forgetting about. He doesn't want to die for a drink or give those important things up. She tells him to concentrate on getting better. He calls her amazing. She goes for a piss and then her phone rings in her bag. Peter answers it, later saying that he thought it was work. Leave that phone alone. Yeah, seriously, who... If your phone was ringing and it was alone in the room with me, I would shout at you, your phone's ringing. I would maybe... I would tell you that your phone's ringing. I would maybe look at it to see who's phoning and then shout at you. Uh So-and-so's trying to call you. And then I would say, okay, well, just answer it. And I wouldn't. (laughs) Because by the time that I... People on my phone and never mind somebody else's. (laughs) Because by the time I got there, they would have, like, left a voicemail or something. The the attitude to phones just baffles me. Anyway, uh, Peter answers it, and it seems to be the hotel with something troubling, and he says he'll pass the message on. It's a quick piss because Carla comes straight back into the room as soon as he's done. He passes on the message that a bloke she was with left his wallet at the bar at the hotel where the conference was last night. And he asks who it was. And I think there's an easy answer to this. Say it's Adams. Right. The two of them were sitting at the bar. Explain about the... Yeah, trying to get Sarah and Adam back together. It didn't work. She went back to the conference, saw Adam there. Mm -hmm. They had a couple of drinks together. He must have left his, his wallet and I picked up the tab. And then that's it. See, I thought that they said that he left his wallet in her room, which would have been harder to explain. I thought it was at the bar. But even if it was in the room, is Peter going to be suspicious of Adam? 
if she's just upfront about it. Well, we've just discussed the fact that Carla's been with Daniel, so maybe she would be. Maybe he would be. Instead of that, Carla pretends that she doesn't understand English or has heard a different question, and she asks for more details. There were three of them, apparently, all of them as boring as each other. They must have a number for the bar bill, and this seems to satisfy Peter. It was Steve from Stevenage and (laughs) Rory from Rory Edge or something. Yeah, it was dumb. Then, Dev is high as a kite when Adam goes in looking for some puffed wheat cereal. (laughs) Because Dev assumes that he'd be more into porridge because he's Scottish. Then Adam makes a reference to Donald Where's Your Trousers and then realises that he's lost his wallet. And his other trousers suggest Dev and then gives him tick for the cereal. Later, just a strange Dev scene. Later, Paul, uh, Peter and Carla are chatting about what he said the other day. He can't remember it exactly, but he knows it must have been bad because you can't even look at him uh, in the eyes. He tells her that if she wants to walk, he'll understand and don't worry because he has Simon to live for now. It's all cool. He's worried about her. She thinks it's just a shame that he wasn't so worried last night. He brings up the subject to the three imaginary men at the bar, saying whatever happened, they can get through it. He calls them indestructible. Her face thinks that he's naive for saying so, so he asks outright if she slept with someone last night, and she admits that she did, but it meant nothing. And then for someone who thought that they could get through anything and were indestructible, Peter has a mahoosive problem with this. Right, yes, of course he does. And demands to know who it was. Because patriarchy she did it because she was angry and it was nothing with nobody he claims that he cheated on her with a bottle and he would never sleep with anyone carla uh, clears her throat <laughs> oh really really he's right she's wrong but she was sad angry and lonely again he wants to know who it was and she tells him it was an, anon- an anonymous businessman they didn't even talk kinky <laughs> she's teary and apologetic and it's quite clever how he's turned this around so easily on her and he's off out. Uh, Later, Carla is outside the rovers trying to get Peter on the phone when Sarah comes along and Sarah promises to keep her mouth shut about the factory thing from earlier. She says that she and Peter have been through so much together, not like her and Adam, and she says that she should fight for a relationship. Meanwhile, Not Ad- knowing that Carla right. has slept with Adam. Meanwhile, Adam is leaving a message for Sarah claiming to miss her and not wanting to give up on her. Then boring Daniel comes along who has noticed that Easter eggs are on sale in Fresco. <laughs> then Daniel and Adam see Peter in the community garden with an unopened bottle of whiskey. Peter fills them both in that Carla was unfaithful and I like that. when he was falling off the wagon. If the bloke's wallet hasn't shown up at the hotel, Carla would have got away with it. Daniel takes a bottle off him and his boredom removes all the alcoholic contents <laughs> from inside. He also lectures Peter like he's the big brother. Mm-hmm. Peter goes home. He's not been drinking. He's so sorry, and so is she. She offers to leave, but she doesn't want to, though. She wants to help him get back on track. I wish she would stop saying things like that. He thinks that they need to forgive each other, talk and be honest. He's back to the their indestructible thing again. and He admits that he's done worse than shag some bloke in the hotel. He <laughs> asks her to go to a meeting with him, and she agrees. But first... She goes to the lawyer's office to call Adam an even thicker pile of shite for leaving his wallet at the hotel. <laughs> he gives her a hard time for confessing, but she says at least she didn't tell him that she slept with his dead sister's son. Adam says, you and me ain't going to happen. What? <laughs> Nobody wants that, Adam. Nobody wants that. He then seems to blame Carla for him nearly getting caught at the factory. Scottish Bobby isn't that good. <laughs> she says that she's told Peter it was a bloke from the conference. Oh, you. Adam doesn't <laughs> think Peter's going to accept that little detail. He'll Gaz want to know blushing. everything. He'll want to meet the guy and punch his lights out. Carla tells Adam that not everyone is such a pathetic lowlife like you. But then, sure enough, at the pub, 
Peter's on the phone at the hotel pretending to be a random bloke that was there with Carol last night and he's looking for his wallet. The hotel tell him there was a wallet handed in but it's already been uh, claimed. Peter hangs up, looks thoughtful and that is the end of this week's episodes. <sighs> Carla would never sleep with Adam. That whole thing is so manufactured and so not something Carla would do. It makes me mad. And the fact that they've been kind of sneakily cueing us into this is eventually going to happen and all of us on social media saying this better not happen <laughs> it just makes it even worse you know they've been it, it makes me long for a time before social media when we had no way to voice our frustrations except for like a strongly worded letter like, like you said for a few weeks i'm going this is going to happen get used to this this is going to happen, happen. Gonna you're happen. not going to like this but this is going to happen this is definitely going to happen and it happens so it happens right Adam just becomes a child the minute that he's ejaculated apparently yes as he's, all men do because he's suddenly now I need to take charge of this situation that I've I've never mm -hmm. been in control of but now I need to take charge of it right because let's face it Adam if it wasn't you it'd have been somebody else yeah because that was the mood that Carla was in but he wants to now now all the jeopardy is on him for some reason. Right. But when there's really no jeopardy on him. His family will forgive him. It's not that big of a deal in that particular family. And is he, that doesn't seem to be all that close to anyone. For the longest time, he actively hated Daniel. So right. how much is he and I mean, potentially going like to lose Daniel here? Daniel is the only one that he really has any sort of real relationship well, with. COVID, I think. We don't see Ken, but... Well, uh, yeah. Much of... He and Tracy don't really no, get on all that much. No, and him and Peter don't really hang out all that much either. So that side of it, and then that whole, you and me is never going to happen. Nobody wants... Like, yeah, that just came like totally out of the blue. fucking deluded are you, Adam, to think that that is possibly what's running through Carla's mind right, right now? Right, because Carla was not hitting on him. He was hitting on her, and she left. Because she could see the way the wind was blowing. Over the past few weeks, though, she has continually been going round. Right, to try to get him back with Sarah. Yeah, continually going round, though. Yeah. Just, it's too late now, but right. please stop that. Yes. From the whole Carl and Peter thing, though, Carla's the face and Peter's the heel. I don't think there's much question in it, is there? Right, yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely none. And well done for yet another <laughs> wrestling reference. Going back to the wrestling, but, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Peter and Carla Stans. But I've been saying this from the beginning, from when they got back together again, the first time. This is a bad relationship. It is not good for either one of them. It's not healthy. It's codependent. And Carla could do so much better. Well, <laughs> from, Peter is a piece of shit. From the, the point of view of drama, it's a great relationship. The two right. of them should never be together no. in real life. No, it's but the not fact healthy. That, that it's not good. Together in this, it can't not create drama. Right. And people are like, oh, they're so good together and they're so in love with one another and they're so smoldering. Eh. But they're only that for exceed exceedingly short periods of time. Right. Or, or then they're not in the show for, for weeks on end. Right. When they come back and there's not drama going on between the two of them, there, is, there isn't very much. I guess they have their moments. There was that there was that cute moment when they were in the in the community garden with Bertie and and Peter says, you know, to Carla, Do you ever wanna 
maybe try for another one of these again. And she's like, no. And it was a sweet moment. It wasn't uh, no, because the last time you and I tried to have a child together, you made me miscarry. It was a no, because Carla is a strong, independent woman who doesn't want to be bothered changing nappies 24 hours a day and walking around with a pram in the middle of the night like Daniel. If no other people existed, the two of them would be perfectly fine together. Right. But they are always fragile because of external influence, whether that be Mm -hmm. Abby or now Adam Adam or the drinking or addiction. It's always dependent on which, which one's turn it is to be the bad guy. Right. But someone's got to be the bad guy. Right. And someone is going to react to something that has happened that is going to have an effect on their relationship. Because their relationship isn't isn't built on rock here. No. It's not really built on anything. It is the the codependence that that brings them together. Like they said back at the whole billiard hall thing from last... Was that last New Year or the New Year before? I can't remember. Right. Where Carla says, look, there's always going to be sexual tension between us. And I'll always love you, but we are bad together because of this whole codependency thing right she spelled it out two years ago i don't know why she would bought my boat the next day and right that's been that was two new years ago then and then and then you know she has a mental health crisis and he rides up on his white steed (sighs) christy's right the best relationship carla has on the street is the father-daughter relationship she has with roy yeah because let's let's face it, everybody's relationship with Roy is the best relationship. Well, when you think about the potential of them losing the relationship, mm-hmm. or or what they have in jeopardy here, none of that has as big an impact as it did when Roy was disappointed in Carla and yelled at her and kicked her out. That was devastating. That really was. That devastating. was devastating. I was like, oh. This is devastating. I hope they can work this out. Do I feel that way about Carla and Peter? Not even one little bit. Because I want what's best for Carla. And what's best for Carla is not Peter. I don't really care about Peter. You've never really cared that much about Peter. No. I, I think he's had his moments. I think he's been a better character recently. I think he's had better stuff to do than when we started doing this. I think yeah. he's, he's more, there's he's, more, more he's, to him. He's but. had his moments. But but, yeah, if, 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 but when it comes to the whole Peter and Carla thing, who do I care about more, and who do, whose corner am I fighting? It's always going to be Carla, right? Because between the two of them, she's better. <laughs> In my opinion, <laughs> she's better. I think. In my opinion, uh, I, I would agree. And and how close we were to them not being a thing if Ken hadn't needed to stop for a pee at a. Uh, a supermarket oh right yeah like all of that he was gone he had a boat he was ready to leave yeah but then again as soon as it looked like carla needed her her fight night back right yeah he just comes rushing back and it's like you know she has a family and and other people to take care of her right she does not need you and he will eventually do her harm and some of those things that he said to her during that whole projection thing were i don't think there's really harmful i don't think there's much way back from that no but they they forgive each other, right? Well, and then and the whole the whole you don't understand what it's like to be a mother thing, or the whole you know you intentionally slept with that guy, when in fact you were raped by that guy. Yeah, you know, you know he's this, to that as there's been with so mm. many times 
that we've been that Peter had said something to Carla that we're like, oh, well, there's no coming back from that. And she's constantly forgiving him. But it doesn't work the other way around. Not really. No. The whole indestructible thing proved to be just a lie to get her to confess something. Right. Or a lie to get her out of the room so he can call the bar in the hotel. Right. We're good. We're indestructible. I'm going to call the hotel now. And find out that it was Adam. And be angry for a little bit. It'll all blow over because you already slept with Daniel. He's going so. to find out that it's Adam. I don't know how long it's going to take to find out, but he's yeah. going to find out, and Sarah's going to find out. It, I, and to me, it's Which far more de- it's far more devastating for Sarah to find out because we got we keep getting so close to Sarah and Adam reconciling, and I still think they're going to reconcile. I still think there's a chance there, and I don't know why. Well, but now you I know why. It. Now you know why because they've reconciled because then Sarah can find out that he slept with Carla as and well then as Naomi. Devastated again. I don't know. I don't think they've been together long enough for, for me to feel... I, I quite like them together. If they break up, I don't think I'm going to care. Yeah. I like them together. I think... I think despite... Based on that week that they were together. Yeah, despite, sure. Despite, you know, despite dead people buried in forests and people sleeping with people that they're not <laughs> supposed to be sleeping with, I think they work. I like them... You know, honestly, I like them better as a couple than Sarah and Gary. Oh, I yeah. never thought Sarah and Gary worked. No. I thought... Gary was punching well above his weight. But that's a fair point about the dead bodies when you think about it. Everything that's kind of the foundation of all these relationships has so many <laughs> potential breaking points. Right. That surely, in time <gasps> for the 60th... Is this how we're going to find... They all break and Ray gets to build his fucking skyscraper. <laughs> On top of Rick the Chin's body mm-hmm. in the woods. But no, this... I'm, I, I'm wondering if this is the thing that's going to break all of this apart. And we're going to find out all of these things. This, well, we already know all these things. Well, this is a house of cards, let's face it. This whole thing is a house of cards. There's now so many things that are all and it's, dependent on and each it, other. And it's co-joining so many other house of cards within the show. Because there are a lot of house of cards that are all going to fall down. Mm-hmm. And and Ray Weinstein's going to be at the bottom <laughs> with Debbie. Right. I think that's how it's going. Your moment of the week. Uh, it was a good week. I enjoyed it this week. Can we make it Tyrone? People are going to hate us for that. You know that. It's been so long <laughs> since we've picked a really good, fun moment of the week. Oh, no. Like, it was just two weeks ago that we picked um, Roy and Evelyn playing chess. It's been such a long time since we've picked... Because <laughs> <sighs> that caption is going to be on Doom Blue Steel, let's face it. That's funny. That's funny right there. Fine. It's my favourite bit of the week. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, yeah. I mean, because all of the other, like, really good, you know, well-acted moments of the week piss me off, so sure. Inexplicably, Tyrone <laughs> being blue steel is our... Moment of the week. Moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. <laughs> is it... Daniel walking birdie on the street, or is it Dev's rice puffs? No, Dev being high as fuck was quite entertaining. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's, it's Daniel worried about Easter eggs. Oh, welcome back, Daniel. We missed you. <laughs> he's in like three scenes, and at the start of every scene that he's in, he says something that's really, really dull. <laughs> I feel so bad, but it's got to be. Daniel and his Easter eggs. That's that it. Boring moment of the week. Boring <laughs> moment of the week. 
Well, let's see how close I can get this down to below two hours. We're you can Twenty at the moment. You I don't can't. think it's possible. Of course, we went over on a on a on a weekend when I have lots to do. Right. So, if you've got lots of things to do this weekend, <sighs> drop us a line with the talk of the street at gmail.com. Uh, that's also our address on uh, Skype if you want to leave us a voicemail and our address on PayPal if you want to throw a couple of nuggets into our virtual tip jar. Please. We at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Please check out our merch store and our YouTube channel. Links to both you can find on our uh, Twitter bio page. If you have the inclination, please leave a rating and a review on our iTunes. Helen is desperate for a pee, I'm guessing. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. We will be back next week with more Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio.